The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. Hey, happy All Fool's Day. Almost all humanity is quarantined, so likewise all humor must be quarantined. On this day, the gay peal of laughter rings not. In the words of Rambo, uh, that's the French poet, not Sylvester Stallone, in the last words of his last letter to his sister, as he lay dying in the Hôpital de la Conception in Marseille, yes, our life is a misery, an endless misery, Why do we exist? Send me the news. From Rambo's mouth to my ears. Here we go. April 1st, 2020. From my house arrest to yours. It's your Stein Show Corona Copia. Everybody was kung flu fighting. Those stats climbed fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. Chai comes of expert timing. There were funky Chinamen from funky Wuhan town. They were chopping bats up. They were chowing them down. It's an ancient Chinese dish And everybody says delish Chairman Z will book your flight You'll be in Milan tonight And everybody starts Kung Flu fighting Okay, that's enough of that Maybe we'll do a second chorus Next week or on our next show It's all Fool's Day And if there's one thing I hate After a lifetime in broadcasting It's those leaden, unfunny, April Fool features TV and radio stations insist on doing on this day. So we're not going to do any of that around here today, but we'll make an exception for the Chinese government, which in an excellent All Fools joke announced with a straight face that it had 36 new cases yesterday. Gosh, that's that's really impressive. You've done a terrific job of coming down from uh, your initial lie to a new lie. Marvellous. The Iranian government also announced with a straight face that 141 Iranians died yesterday. Pay no attention to those ayatollahs piled up in the parking lot. The Women's Ministry in Malaysia posted advice online telling Malaysian women to dress up, wear makeup, and try to avoid nagging their husbands during the lockdown. That wasn't an April Fool's joke because it's actually uh, quite funny. So the Malaysian government, of course, was forced to apologise for it. This is also pretty funny in a dark way. We've heard for weeks that as soon as we get more coronavirus testing kits out, we'll have a better sense of how many people have got it. 
Uh, that's because the test kits now come conveniently pre-infected with the virus. The Luxembourg manufacturer Eurofins, 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 has informed its customers that the supply of new kits will be delayed because uh, they've discovered that core parts of the kits bore traces of the coronavirus. They're being a bit coy, being a bit coy about which country those core parts actually came from. And we don't like to speculate, do we? It's a bit like those news stories where some fellow drives his car onto the sidewalk yelling Allahu Akbar and the police profess themselves absolutely baffled and bewildered as to his motive. But it uh, it certainly would make all these trend line models more reliable if everybody who takes the test gets it. Or is that just another April Fool's gag from the cut-ups at the Politburo? If the numbers of the infected are unknowable, so too are the numbers are the number of the dead. Uh, France's death count of 500 or so a day is only deaths in hospitals. Deaths in retirement homes, care homes, private homes are not included. In Guayaquil, the biggest city in Ecuador, the locals are posting videos of bodies dumped in the streets. In London, in 1665, the dead cart driver cried, bring out your dead. In Guayaquil, the dead cart isn't showing up. And after four days of waiting, they bring the dead out anyway. Families are simply leaving the deceased out in the front yard or on the sidewalk. From our Tony Blair, now would be a very good day to get out any news we want to bury files. The U.S. Department of Justice has announced that its inspector general found, quote, Apparent errors or inadequately supported facts in every single FBI FISA court application he reviewed. Every single FISA court application. The FBI is corrupt and the FISA court is a racket and no one will do anything about it during the corona apocalypse. But when it ends, Americans should remember it and insist on action because a corrupt and capricious bureaucracy wasting its time and money is one reason we got clobbered by the virus. Pfizer should go, and I'm getting close to the point where the FBI should go. For over a year, it has been offered a chance to clean up its Comey Muller Act, and it has declined to take it. The summer is being cancelled. The Edinburgh Festival is off. Wimbledon seems likely to go the same way later today. The Eurovision Song Contest is being replaced with some socially isolated, non-competitive lame substitute. But we will honour the Eurovision heyday right here in a couple of minutes. In such a world, I'm bored with politics. I don't know how myopic you have to be to ask the questions Jim Acosta asked of President Trump over and over and over last night. But for some people, politics is all there is. Nancy Pelosi is already threatening to re-impeach the president for not taking sufficient early action in January. Back when she was impeaching him first time around, and the guy was tied up as the defendant in a ludicrous pseudo-trial. Uh... Why don't we impeach her? I mean that seriously. After getting a classified briefing uh, weeks ago on where this thing was headed, she and her husband went and adjusted their stock portfolio accordingly. They have already made millions out of the mass death and economic devastation inflicted on you. Um, Big picture politics remains relevant. Uh, Nancy's open borders shtick is a misnomer. It's not open borders. It just means the borders are moved 
tightened, in fact. As I said years ago and have reiterated since the um, Florida gay nightclub massacre and all the rest, um, if you don't have a secured perimeter outside the country, you have to have a secured perimeter outside everything inside the country. First airports, government buildings, then big pop concerts, and now the ultimate Titan security perimeter outside your house, which you are prevented from leaving. Nancy Pelosi wants you enclosed while the Rio Grande stays open. Sooner or later, we've got to do something about these contradictions. As you know, the constabulary in the United Kingdom have taken to their new powers with entirely predictable sadistic glee, which is why we've introduced our Brit Wanker Copper of the Day feature. Derbyshire police set the standard uh, for this last week with their decision to dispatch drones to hover over errant dog walkers as they walk their dogs in Peak District National Park so they could be corona-shamed on the internet. But at least a drone isn't actual vital manpower. Fresh from that triumph, the Derbyshire plods noticed that a few isolated bathers were still going out for a dip in a local beauty spot, the so-called Blue Lagoon in Buxton. So they dispatched an army of officers to make the beauty spot ugly, to disfigure it by dyeing the Blue Lagoon black. And then they proudly posted pics on Facebook of their wanker coppers taking time out in an apocalypse to dye a body of water a less appealing hue. Uh, As I always say, in Britain, everything is policed except crime. Supposedly, only, quote, essential workers can work in Britain right now, and only essential services can be performed. Does dyeing the Blue Lagoon black count as essential? And at a time when medical staff can't get the equipment they need, how the hell did a police force find that much black dye? And if it's so important to send a message, and to send it by sending uh, uniformed constables... Why couldn't the most useless coppers on the planet have just stood around the lagoon pissing into it all day long? Congratulations, Derbyshire Police. I foresee many Brit Wanker Copper of the Day awards in your future. The Singer Museum in Laren, North Holland, closed because of the Chinese virus. And immediately, some fellas broke in and stole Van Gogh's 1884 masterpiece of the Parsonage Garden at Noonan. The Dutch cops got there too late to prevent the heist. Uh, Of course, this would never have happened with the Derbyshire coppers uh, because they'd already have gone in and dyed the painting black just to prevent any local art lover enjoying looking at it. In these trying times, we could all use a little diversion. Watch Mark Stein's readings of work by poets from Robert Browning to Robert Service in Stein's Sunday poems. Whether it's Keats's Ode on a Grecian Urn, John McRae's in Flanders Fields, or James Montgomery's Greenland, Stein brings you the rhyme, rhythm, and reason behind classics and lesser-known delights. Stein's Sunday poems are available exclusively at www.steinonline.com for members of the Mark Stein Club. View the full catalog at www.steinonline.com poems. And now, Stein Online presents Mark Stein's Song of the Week. 
Well, it's more of a song of the week, midweek extra. But with all the societal devastation and economic collapse, we haven't had a chance to order up the new idents yet. Among the many institutional victims of the Chinese coronavirus is the Eurovision Song Contest, which for the first time in 65 years has been cancelled, to the great despair of those of us who regard it as the least malign exemplar of European integration, as well as a forlorn barometer of its limitations. You bring together the musical cultures that produced Bach, Mozart, Vivaldi, Berlioz, and what do you get? You get Boom Banger Bang. Eurovision winner 1968, Boom Banger Bang, and Ding Ding A Dong. Eurovision winner 1975, Boom Bang A Bang, Ding Ding A Dong, and of course, Diggy Loo Diggy Lay. Eurovision winner 1984. But occasionally the boom banging and ding donging and diggy looing fall silent. I'm not even sure I know how to diggy loo. Uh, And some non-bouncy-bouncy Europop thing emerges triumphant. So in lieu of this year's Eurovision Song Contest, let's turn the clock back half a century to a teenage girl standing on a stage in Amsterdam as the last votes come in. La Belgique, un point. France, three votes. Le Royaume-Uni, trois points. Germany, two votes. of Everything, written by Derry Lindsay and Jackie Smith, two Dublin compositors. And if you're thinking, hang on, compositors, don't you mean composers? Uh, Well, no, they were compositors, the chaps who set the type for newspapers. And they fancied having a go at songwriting, and they were blessed to have a young lady from Derry, or Londonderry, according to taste, sing it as the Irish entry in the 1970 Eurovision Song Contest. Derry, of course, is in Northern Ireland, uh, which is in the United Kingdom. But the year before, the Euro Grandees had decided that Ireland's song uh, should represent the whole of the island of Ireland, uh, which didn't really make much difference, except that the French 
instead of declaring uh, le Royaume-Uni nul point, had to say la Grande-Bretagne nul point. Anyway, the year after Dana, they switched back to the actual borders of the member nations, and the UK entry was sung by uh, Clodagh Rogers, who's from Dana's husband's hometown, just uh, round the corner from her. Uh, so as a practical matter, whether you're English, Irish, Welsh or Scottish, you wound up being represented at Eurovision by a colleen from Ulster. But so what? Switzerland was represented by Celine Dion from Laval, Quebec. All kinds of everything was a huge hit for Dana, except in Australia, where some wily colonial gal from Melbourne uh, dashed out a cover version and snuck the hit out from under her. Other than that, number eight in New Zealand, number seven in South Africa, number four in Germany, number three in Austria, number two in the Netherlands, number one in Belgium, and of course, Britain and Ireland. City sets, neon lights, grey skies or blue All kinds of everything remind me of you Summertime, wintertime, spring and autumn too Monday, Tuesday, every day All kinds of everything remind me of you. Uh, that's Dana, and the lady herself has uh, joined me in the studio. Thank Lana. you. On the desk in my office, where I am uh, prevented from being right now by gubernatorial decree, I have a photo of me and Dana. I don't have snaps of me and the various princes and presidents and prime ministers I've met over the years. But I do have that pic of me and Dana from half a lifetime ago because it brings back uh, happy memories. She looks lovely in it, as she still does, and I look goofy in it, as I still do. So it all worked out. Dana went on to become a member of the European Parliament for Connaught Ulster. Uh, as I recall, she was Eurosceptic before Euroscepticism was cool. Uh, so it might be fun to get her back on the show to talk about Brexit. In fact... During her political career, the Irish TV and Radio Commission ruled that if you played all kinds of everything on the radio, you had to reduce uh, the coverage your news department gave to her election campaign by three minutes just to make it fair to the other candidates. But half a century on, she still sings Derry and Jackie's song and is happy to do so. And uh, I wondered, we played all kinds of everything uh, five, ten minutes ago, and I wondered whether you ever get sick of, of singing uh, those songs, those old hits. Um, I never really get tired of all kinds of everything because mm. um, it's amazing uh, how many people have a real affection for that song. Mm. In a lot of cases, it's because they remember vividly what they were doing at the time yes. that I sang it. Yeah. Um, and so it brings back memories to them. And also, it's not a belter. You know, it's not like singing my way That's every right. time. Yeah. It's it's quite a gentle song to sing. Um, and I like it. You know, it's a nice yes. little song. It's a song that stood the test of time pretty well. Yes, know. it is. Which a lot of very simple things do. Mm. It's a very simple a yes. uh, genuine little song. Um, I think the times that you do sort of, and I think I speak for every artist, when you do worry about people, 
people's opinion of songs, you think to yourself, oh, I wonder, are they really bored and fed up with this song? And then you think to yourself, well, maybe I shouldn't sing it anymore. Mm. I mean, sometimes you can get fed up with songs, but um, in a lot of cases, it's because you think other people are fed up with them. Snowdrops and daffodils, butterflies and bees, sailboats and fishermen, things of the sea, wishing wells, wedding bells, early morning dew. the great Julie Stein once said to me, uh, it's easy to be clever. The really clever thing is to be simple. Dana's is a perceptive way of looking at it. Many years later, a very different kind of warbling Colleen, Sinead O'Connor and Terry Hall from the specials and the Fun Boy 3 uh, made a record of all kinds of everything. Sinead is a gifted talent, but damaged. And their version of the song is meant to be uh, darkly ironic. Suppose you bust up with your great love and all kinds of everything, sailboats, early morning, dew, sky, trees, all kinds of everything still reminded you of her. It would drive you insane, wouldn't it? Snowdrops and daffodils, butterflies and bees, sailboats and fishermen, Wishing wells, wedding bells, early morning dew. All kinds of everything remind me of you. I don't think Sinead O'Connor and Terry Hall are singing that song entirely in ironic contempt. I think they like it for real, but can't quite bring themselves to admit it. If you've ever had the pleasure of seeing Sinead smile while singing that song, well, it's uh, it's quite something. I think somewhere deep down she knows she would have had a happier life living Dana's life. Fifty years ago, in pre-corona Europe, a grand night for the Irish. Oh, you know what that music means. Mark's Mailbox is on the air. And a first-day founding member of the Mark Stein Club from Florida, Mark Swerdloff. Mark, perhaps, because he spells it with a C, as uh, my Belgian grandmother did my own name through all her life. Mark Swerdloff, Monsieur Swerdloff, perhaps, writes... Mark, uh, 50 years ago when I was a lad, the English Bobby was well-respected around the world. His reputation, at least at the Mark Stein Club, has plummeted. Was my memory tainted by youthful naivete, or did the British constabulary decline? And if so, why? Uh, That's an interesting question, Mark. Um, Modern policing, as you know, 
uh, was invented uh, in England, in London, by Sir Robert Peel. And Sir Robert's great line was, uh, the police are the public and the public are the police. That's why they wear blue, to distinguish them from military red. They're not a military force. And uh, as you say, they used to have a good reputation. Bobbies on bicycles, two by two, to quote Roger Miller. And if you met a bobby on a bicycle in an English village, it could often be a, a very pleasant and pleasing encounter. The ones of my acquaintance were mostly sane. There was always a certain officiousness about the fellas up in the big towns. A young gentleman uh, going to London for the first time would always be advised by his elders and betters to avoid the gents at Piccadilly Circus uh, because the only other fellas uh, standing at the urinal were agents provocateurs from the Metropolitan Police and if you made the mistake of catching uh, their eye, they'd be, uh, they'd, they'd, they'd be keen to arrest you. They were not terribly convincing. They wore tight white uh, polo neck sweaters. Uh, the uh, trousers that they fancied were appropriate for the job, but the telltale thing was always the policeman's boots sticking out from under the trousers. They were, I suppose, by the standards of our time, uh, they were unenlightened uh, to a degree on matters of, uh, uh, of sexuality and race and uh, gender identity and all the other stuff. And so after a couple of investigations for racism in the early 90s, they decided to turn on a dime and uh, become uh, as officiously progressive as they once had, had been perceived to be officiously uh, reactionary. And uh, my friend John O'Sullivan, who will be with us on the next Mark Stein cruise, assuming the house arrest ever ends, and the cruise industry recovers. Uh, my friend John O'Sullivan has a marvellous line uh, that he uh, came up with back in the 90s, that the police, the British police, are now the paramilitary wing of the Guardian. There's a lot of truth in that too. They started doing these wacky things where they do plainclothes operations sitting at the adjoining table of a curry house late on a Friday night to eavesdrop uh, on whether or not you were making any racist remarks. Then what happened was 9-11 and the erection of the 24-7 surveillance state around the Western world. And the police took that as a license, in effect, to uh, police thought crime, to surveil your Facebook and Twitter accounts and see if you were tweeting an inappropriate joke about Nelson Mandela or you were uh, re retweeting a, a poem uh, expressing skepticism of transgenderism. Uh, for them, the problem is not that Islam is uh, blowing up stuff all over the world, but that people are saying mean things about Islam blowing up stuff all over the world. So having become the paramilitary wing of The Guardian, uh, they then turn their focus away from crime to... Uh, even as property crime, for example, rampage, uh, they turn their attention to policing thoughts. But, but, all that said, I think there's something worse going on. I think this is now an almost wholly hollowed out institution. Uh, in many 
big constabularies up and down the spine of England. It is, I regret to say, I think a totally corrupted institution. I do not think Sir Robert Peel would recognise it as policing or anything like it. And the reason for that, I think, it's impossible to overlook this. If you've spent any time in English provincial towns and just forced yourself to look at what the police were doing there during all the so-called grooming gang business. And that I'm not just talking about Rotherham, uh, but I'm also talking about uh, Telford and Rochdale, Oxford, all kinds of places where the police knew what was going on. And when they weren't actively cooperating with it and facilitating it, as they did in Rotherham, where very strange things happened and where girls who took evidence to the police then went back a week later and the police claimed the evidence had disappeared. It's impossible to conclude anything other than that the police uh, were aiding and abetting, in legal terms, uh, the, the sex slavery that went on in those towns. And I think about that a lot, having met some of those girls. You know, if you're prepared to sacrifice the young women of your community to the pieties of multiculturalism, in other words, the paramilitary wing of the Guardian business is so inculcated in you that you're prepared to pervert the very essence of your job, it's not surprising that you would then do... uh, Uh, as I have said, and start policing everything except crime. Because nobody who who does evil likes to think of himself as an evildoer. Everybody justifies it to himself. And that doesn't matter whether you're talking about totalitarian regimes on the other side of the planet or all those wicked, wicked, wicked policemen who year in, year out turned a blind eye and gave a nod and a wink to what was going on with those girls. It's impossible to believe. It's it's absolutely disgraceful for a start that so little of it gets reported. And it's even more disgraceful uh, that that an entire generation of police leadership has not been replaced. But I'm afraid I don't find it funny at all anymore. Uh, In a sense, I'm flattering them, calling them Brit wanker coppers of the day. Because the men who lead many of those constabularies are actually wicked and depraved. Mark Stein's Last Call. I think the first Mike Longo album I ever bought was a jazz portrait of Funny Girl from back in the days when as soon as a Broadway show opened, a group of jazz cats would go into the studio and do a cool jazz album of the entire score. He was a longtime musical director for Dizzy Gillespie and a terrific pianist in demand all over the world. Here's Mike Longo with a Rodgers and Hart song whose title seems somewhat appropriate for when the coronavirus sweeps in and overwhelms your town as it did his New York City. I didn't know what time it was.
Grand to be alive, grand to see your face, feel your touch. Dead of the Chinese coronavirus, three days after his 83rd birthday, a great pianist, Mike Longo. For a couple of generations of Japanese, Ken Shimura was a prime-time fixture on national TV every weekend for years, and oh, how they laughed. Here he is as an English class teacher. <laughs> This is my father. This is my mother. So you tell me, go in with Susan Yo, my Susan Yo, Moto, Hakti, Timothy, you could it. This is my mother. So the mother and husband, this is my father. This is my. This is it. This is it. This is it. If a little of that got lost in translation, here's Ken Shimura's comedy distilled to its essence. Ken emerges as a samurai warrior, ready to do battle with a noble and fearsome opponent in a duel of flatulence. He was scheduled to carry the Olympic torch at this summer's opening ceremonies in Tokyo, but he died of the Chinese coronavirus at the age of 70, Ken Shimura. And as Ken was wont to say, Dafuna. Joachim Yombi Opango is the first former head of state to be killed by COVID-19. He was a Congolese strongman. That's the uh, French Congo, Brazzaville, not Belgian, uh, and a great survivor of Congolese politics, which is more than you can say for his predecessor who got assassinated. Yombi Opango was the army chief of staff at the time and succeeded his late boss. Yombi Opango led Congo Brazzaville from 1977 and was toppled in 1979. Following charges that he was attempting to form a right-wing faction in the ruling left-wing party, the ex-president for life was further demoted from general to private. But private Yombi Opango made a comeback. He spent several years in prison before multi-party democracy was introduced in 1991 and served as prime minister until civil war broke out in 1997. Etc, etc, etc. He was a Congolese strongman, but he wasn't strong enough to see off COVID-19. Dead at the age of 81, Joachim Yombi Opango.
Born in 1911, Hilda Churchill was seven years old when the Spanish flu began its sweep through her native England. It killed her little sister. But Hilda survived through the Great War and the Spanish flu and another war for another century. I just remember fondly and, and, and warmth, you know, with plenty of warmth and, and love and there won't be a day goes by, I hope she won't be in my thoughts. She beat the Spanish flu, but not the Chinese coronavirus, dead just a few days before what would have been her 109th birthday, Hilda Churchill, the oldest victim of COVID-19 in the United Kingdom and possibly the world. Rogers and Hart, I'm wise, and I know what time it is now. That's it for our show, except to note that the Hamilton Police in southern Ontario pulled over a 29-year-old drug dealer and charged him... uh, Not with drug dealing or anything like that, but with the brand new crime of operating a non-essential business. Uh, Drug dealing in Ontario is non-essential? Who knew? Apparently, under Justin's new law, the only essential businesses are exporting masks and medical equipment to China and importing kiwi polish and bananas for Justin's playpen at 24 Sussex Drive. Come, Mr. Tallyman, dally up me face mask. Stay safe, stay free. Join us next time for another edition of The Mark Stein Show. The Mark Stein Show is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. reserved.